We started a, a new series last week in Paul's letter to the Galatians. And so if you want to get your Bible and go ahead and be turning there. Still in chapter 1, if you're using the Bible that's in the uh, chair in front of you, you can turn to page 972. But we're looking at this letter because we want to be a church that keeps in step with the gospel. If you've ever been in the military uh, or marching band, which is not quite like the military, but close, right? Keeping in step is important. Right? If, the, if you're not marching in step with each other, then everything is disorder and chaos. And Paul says in this letter, in the second chapter, that some of the people in Galatia were guilty of not keeping in step with the gospel, with the good news of God's grace. What does that mean? Well, we talked a little bit about it last week. That the, the problem in Galatia is that Paul had come through and he had proclaimed the good news about Jesus and he had planted these churches. And then some other people came in behind him and they were proclaiming something a little bit extra. They were adding to the message that Paul had preached. He had preached that you can be made right with God by trusting in Christ alone. And they had come through and were saying, well, yeah, that's good. But you need a little bit more. It's faith in Christ plus your obedience to the law. And so Paul hears about this and he writes back and he says, no. See, the gospel is one of those things that if you add to it, you actually undo it. Right? We don't need anything extra. Right? The, the, the beauty of the gospel is that God has done everything that we need. And what's at stake in the gospel is how we are accepted by God and how we relate to God. That's, that's why it's so important that we defend and keep in step with the gospel. Because everything really is at stake. Our relationship with God. How are we accepted by Him and how we relate to Him. If it's any part of me... Right? If I'm coming to God on my own terms, trying to earn something from Him on my own merit, then in essence I'm looking at the finished work of Christ and saying, it's not good enough. And that's why the gospel is undone when we add something extra to it. Because in essence we're saying that what Jesus did was not enough. And so today we're going to be in Galatians 1, verses 10 through 24. Paul is going to tell us a little bit more about himself and his background. So let's give our attention to God's word. Paul writes, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers... That the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently 
and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help. Lord, if I could remember all of the words we just sang, that would be my prayer, that you would speak, that you would teach us, that you would plant your word in us, and that it would bear fruit in our lives. We pray that your truth would prevail over unbelief, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. If you uh, got the email this week that had the discussion questions from last week on it. You saw this quote, uh, but here's what John Stott, uh, theologian and pastor of Great Britain, says about the importance of the gospel. He says, to tamper with the gospel is always to trouble the church. You cannot touch the gospel and leave the church untouched because the church is created and lives by the gospel. Now, if you're not familiar uh, with the story of the Bible, uh, then everything that Paul just said, you may, you may kind of wonder, what in the world is he talking about, right? He mentions these names and these places, but, but what is Paul going on about in this passage? Why is he talking about himself? Well, if you go back to verse 1, you'll see that Paul calls himself an apostle, and that's a special word. It means, it means that you are a specially selected messenger. And so I used the illustration last week of, you know, when you're, if your big brother comes into your room and says, clean up your room. You would look at him and you would say, no. Who are you? What right do you have to tell me to clean up my room? But if your brother comes into your room and says, dad said, Clean up your room. Well, that changes everything, right? It's the authority behind the messenger that's at stake. And what's happening is that these false teachers have come in behind Paul, and they've been preaching this false message. And when the people in Galatia say, "Uh, that doesn't sound like what Paul was saying, it seems like what these guys were doing is they were saying, well, about Paul, you know, I know he said he's an apostle, but like, he's not Peter. He's not James. 
He's not John. Like those, those guys, those are the real apostles. Paul, he's a sub-apostle, if you could even call him that. Right? They, they're, they're casting doubts on his authority, which means they're casting doubts on his message. And so Paul actually begins his letter by telling his own story and defending his authority to preach the message that he's preaching. And so last week we saw that there's only one gospel, there's only one true message of God's saving grace. This week we'll see that that gospel comes from God. It's not man's gospel. We didn't invent it. Man did not create it. It's God's gospel. And it has the power to transform your life. That's, that's Paul's story. We see how the gospel takes Paul from being a hater of grace to being a lover of grace. Someone who wants to stop the gospel from spreading to being a spreader of that very gospel. And his main point really can be said in verses 11 and 12. He says, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. I didn't have to be instructed in this by any other human authority. I received direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, that's, a, that's big, right? Uh, what, you know, most people, if they came to you and said, hey, I saw a vision of Jesus and he has a message for you, we would probably be a little skeptical. I hope you would be a little skeptical, right? Uh, but we have Paul's story in the book of Acts. Not written by Paul, written by another author, Luke. And Paul tells his story multiple times. But Paul grounds that experience in real history. And so he goes on from that point that the gospel is not his, it's God's. And he demonstrates that in the course of his life. He charts the course of God's grace through his life. First, he talks about how he was a hater of grace. Look at verse 13. He said, you've heard of my former life in Judaism. You know what I was like. How I persecuted the church of God violently. That word violently means exceedingly. It's where we get our word hyperbole from. Paul was over the top in his violent persecution of the church. He was a terrorist. That's what we would call him today. Paul was a religious terrorist. He was so serious, so zealous, he believed so strongly in what he was doing that he was willing to harm people, do violence to people in order to fulfill that mission. His mission was to stop the good news about Jesus from spreading. It was not good news to him. Not only that, not only was Paul a terrorist, but Paul was also incredibly religious. Look at verse 14. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Right? You, you couldn't get a more faithful Jew than Paul. Nobody was, more, among his peers, he was a head and shoulders above. 
He was a zealous and ambitious student. He knew his Bible. He knew his theology. And that's what led him to be a terrorist. Now, why would he bring that up? Well, think about what the false teachers are encouraging these new Christians to do. They want them to adopt Jewish customs and Jewish laws so that they can be accepted by God. And Paul is saying, been there, done that. I was better at Judaism than anybody else, right? I know the traditions. I followed the traditions. I know the law. I followed the law. If anyone was going to earn his way to God, I was. If anyone could be accepted by obedience, I could. If anyone could lead you down that road, it would be me. And I'm not going that way. Because I know that that road is a dead end. And what this tells us is that you can be incredibly religious and obedient and moral and still be very far from God. You can say, listen to me, my my teenage friends, you can say and do All the right things that your parents are telling you to say and do. And be very far from God. Parents, you can can say and do all of the right things and still be very far from God. In fact, it could be, as it was in Paul's case, that religion is your problem. I mean, think about Paul. Think about his story. He's not saying, man, I lived a terrible life. If you could be addicted to it, I was addicted to it, right? Paul's life was not full of license and sin and filth. I mean, it was, but it was of a different sort. Paul's life, we would have looked at Paul's life and we would have said, that's a good guy. He's in church every Sunday. He's memorized lots of the Bible. But he was very far from God. So, Why do you do what you do? Examine your motives. Are you more concerned with your performance? What you're doing for God? How God can be pleased with you? Than you are with what God has done for you. And knowing him through the love and sacrifice of his son. Are you more concerned about performance or grace? Notice who the focus is on in those two verses. Look again at verse 13. You've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my people, So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. There's a lot of first-person pronouns in there. Paul's consumed with himself. Paul's former life is all about Paul. But then a radical shift happens. Look at verse 15. But one of the most beautiful words in the Bible... But 
When he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. Does anybody know what the unofficial motto of the Canadian Royal Mounted Police is? The Mounties. The Mountie always gets his, his man. The Mountie always gets his man. Friends, God always gets his man. Or his woman. Paul had been set apart from his mother's womb. That's literally what he says. From the moment of conception, Paul was set apart and called by God's grace. God always gets his man, every time, without exception. English poet Francis Thompson calls him, calls God, the hound of heaven. Paul was pursued by the hound of heaven. And that's true of every person who's ever trusted in Jesus. We're pursued and we're caught by the hound of heaven. And what's the result? Paul goes from being a gospel stopper to a gospel spreader. Look in verse 16. The same God who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim the good news. That's what that word preach. It's where we get our word evangelize from. Proclaim the good news of him among the Gentiles. So this hardened Jewish man who would have thought Jews, I mean, would have thought Gentiles unworthy of God's love, unworthy of God's presence. Now he goes to those very Gentiles. That's how the gospel changes you. Paul would have been opposed to the Gentiles. Now he goes to the Gentiles. He would have thought the Gentiles unclean and unworthy of God. And now he becomes an ambassador of grace to them. And then what happens? He says, to prove his point, that this is not his gospel, right? This is not something he invented or that anybody else taught him. He didn't immediately consult with anyone. He didn't check anybody else. He didn't go back to Jerusalem. He was in Damascus. He had gone to Damascus. If you're familiar with the story, you can go back and read it in Acts, in the book of Acts. Paul had gone to Damascus to arrest Christians. And it was on the way to Damascus that he met Jesus and was converted. And so Paul does not go back to Jerusalem to check in with the mother church. In fact, what he says is that he actually leaves Damascus and goes into Arabia. Now, the book of Acts doesn't even mention that. We have no idea what happened for those three years. This is the only place that Paul mentions it. What did he do? And while we don't know for sure, scholars suggest that just as the other apostles spent three years learning from Jesus, so now Paul spends his time learning from Jesus by studying the scriptures and by praying. And so we see that Paul's path of growth, right? He, he's, he spends time in reflection and prayer studying the word. He doesn't automatically get busy, but he roots himself in Christ which is something we need to hear in our busy day. 
We put a lot of stock in our activity. Paul is very active, and yet he spends, but before he goes and gets active, it would seem that he spent some time first learning this gospel and where we find it in the scriptures and all of those things so that he could be equipped to do the mission that Jesus had called him to do. But then we also see that Paul's not a lone ranger. He's not a loose cannon. In verse 18, he tells us that he, go, he does go to Jerusalem. And he doesn't go to be taught by Peter or anybody else. He just goes to get to know him, to spend time with him. And what we see later on is that Peter and the other leaders in Jerusalem actually give the right hand of fellowship to Paul. They say, we're on the same team. Right, so Paul now making the point that he's not opposed to the Jerusalem leaders. He's on the same team that they are. He wasn't taught by them. He didn't get his message from them. But they're in this together. It's the false teachers who stand apart. But then what do we see is the result of the gospel in Paul's life? Look at verse 10. He says, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? Now, for us rugged American individualists, we can hear that and be like, yeah, I'm not a man pleaser. I stand on my own two feet. That that notion would have been somewhat foreign to Paul. There was no, that that, that wasn't really a thing, right? Uh, Paul is saying, I, I don't seek the approval of man, right? The switch that's made is I don't seek the approval of man. I now seek the approval of God. I'm a servant of Christ. And so that's not, a, that's not a boast. And I think that's the point I'm trying to make. When we do that, we're often boasting. Paul is not boasting of his independence from everyone. He's boasting that his allegiance has shifted. In his former manner of life, when he was doing all of the right religious things... He was seeking the approval of people. But he's saying now, I don't, I don't have to seek the approval of people. God has freed me from that. And now I can love and serve people. I don't have to get anything from people. I can now give to people. Look at verse 23. So Paul leaves Jerusalem In fact, we know from the book of Acts that he actually had to escape Jerusalem uh, secretly, that there were those who were looking to kill him. And so he heads off into regions to the north, and most of the churches, he is unknown by face to any any of the churches that are uh, in Judea, in that region. People don't even know what he looks like. But they are hearing it said that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and the result, they glorified God because of me. That's what the gospel, that's, that's the kind of transformation that the gospel produces. When you, when you go from being a hater of grace to a lover of grace, right? we go from man-pleasing, self-seeking, to being someone whose life demonstrates the glory of God to others. It's a, total, it's a total shift in motive. Am I all about me and about what I can accomplish and about what you say about me? 
seeking the approval of others? Or am I most concerned with God's glory and that others glorify God because of me? That's the shift that happens in Paul's life. That's how he's transformed. J. Gresham Machen is a pastor and a theologian. He writes this. He says, from the beginning, Christianity was certainly a life, the way of life. But how was that life produced? In the ancient world, there were many wandering preachers who told people how they ought to live. Right? That's not uncommon. You know, we have we have motivational speakers who make who, who do the circuit now. You can you know get on YouTube and watch any number of TED talks that you want to watch. Right? That's not a new form of communication. What I'm doing is not a new form of communication. It's been around for a very long time. Machen says, you had all kinds of people in the first century who were doing that very thing, telling people how they ought to live. But these preachers never succeeded in transforming society. Christianity was different. It transformed the lives of people not by appealing to the human will, but by telling a story. Not by exhortation, but by narration of an event. Lives of people are transformed by a piece of news. That's the gospel. It's not good advice. It's good news of what Jesus has done. And it can take your life and transform it just the way that it did Paul's. And so the question is, do you know that freedom? Have you experienced the life-transforming power of the gospel? If you haven't, I'd love to talk with you more after church about what it means to come to know Christ. If you have, Christians, this is where we stumble. We often treat the gospel like it's the front door, right? It's the way that we come into this life, Christian life. And then we treat it like it's the back door, right? I need the gospel in order to get to heaven. But in the middle... We try to live by our own effort rather than by the gospel of grace. Right? We try to do things in our own power and our own steam. We forget that the same gospel that saves us, saved us in the past, is the gospel that saves us in the present, is continuing to save us, is continuing to work God's transforming power in our lives. Let's pray.